This is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. For generations now, we have heard educators extol the virtues of the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. The three R's have been a major force in education for longer than most of us know. Apparently, one of the earliest references to the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, come from the pen of Augustine of Hippo in 400 AD. So for thousands of years, uh, these three virtues have been extolled and encouraged in our educational process. And now that the holiday weekend is nearly over, and that means our students are back to school, they will be paying lots of attention to reading, writing, and arithmetic. More attention than they wish they had to spend. Well, Psalm 34 also promotes three R's, but they are not about reading and writing and arithmetic. They are resolution, remembrance, and realization. So we're going to relearn the three R's this morning according to Psalm 34. The first R in the psalm has to do with resolution. Psalm 34, verses 1 to 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Psalm 34 is one of the acrostic psalms in the Psalter. That means it's verses. Every couplet begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet with one exception. They left one letter out for whatever reason. It's a beautiful, lively expression of thanks to God for his miraculous deliverance. And here in the opening lines of Psalm 34, we find David worshiping God. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. So even when the rainstorms overwhelm us, and the basement is flooding, and the mold is growing up the walls, I will praise him. Right? (laughs) That was really... Pathetic. (laughs) Yeah, because we've just gone through that, haven't we? Well, there are several things I want you to notice about David's worship this morning. Forget about the floods for a sec. Let's, Let's focus on his act of worship in these first three verses. David's worship is, first of all, voluntary. I will bless the Lord. So it's a personal choice that he makes, a decision of his heart and soul. It's a volitional choice, a resolution of his spirit that he's going to worship the Lord. doesn't matter what everybody else does. doesn't matter what other people around him are doing. He's going to worship the Lord. It's voluntary. David's worship is also constant at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not just on Saturday or Sunday, but in all situations and in all circumstances, at every possible moment of every possible day, when life is going well and when it isn't, at all times. 
Furthermore, David's worship is verbal. He says, His praise shall, shall continually be in my mouth. You know, I got thinking about that uh, just the day before yesterday and, and thinking that if, if the praises of the Lord were constantly in my mouth, then there would be no room for criticism or gossip or slander or complaining or grumbling. If my mouth was full of His praises every day, there'd be no room in there for all the other stuff. It's verbal praise. David's worship is also boastful. My, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. It's very easy for us to boast about the things that we love dearly, right? My daughter just gave birth to a grandson, my first grandson, two weeks ago. Mason is only two. Have you seen his picture? Is he not the most adorable little boy? Yeah, see? We can boast about the things that we love. We have no problem boasting about the things that we love dearly. Anybody who wants to listen, I'll tell them all about Mason. Pull out my, my tablet and show them pictures. Boast about him all day long. And my daughter and my son-in-law. And you know, I hear, I hear Christian, some Christian men, not well-informed, mind you, but I, I do hear some Christian men boasting about the Red Wings and the Tigers and the Pistons. Far better to boast about the Blue Jays and the Maple Leafs and the Raptors. Amen? Okay, there you go, Matt. There you go. So it's... <laughs> I always tell pastors in other cities, you know, I, I live in a city of divided loyalties. If I ever want to get something really going on a Sunday morning, I just have to mention the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs in the same sentence, and that's, that's sure to get stuff happening. Yeah. But it's, east, it's so easy to boast about the stuff that we love, that we, that we cherish, that we treasure. And what did David say? My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Who are you boasting about today? What are you boasting about today? Well, David's worship is also contagious. He says, let the humble hear and be glad. So as, as humble people hear us and they see us worship God, they will rejoice too and, and be glad in God. And I think he's, he specifically says, let the humble hear, because the proud not so much. When humble people hear us worship or see us worship, they're, they're respectful and they, they, they're glad for us. Not so much the proud people. Am I right? Yeah. David's worship is also corporate. Magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. This is a corporate thing. Yeah, it's wonderful to have a quiet time and private devotion with the Lord in the morning, but I'm telling you, I live all week long for Sunday morning. I love getting together with my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship. And David said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Well, to magnify something is to make it great. That's what it means. To magnify Something, anything, means to make it greater, make it bigger, make it better. So in one sense, it's absolutely impossible to conceive of human beings making God great. He's already great. There's nothing we can do to make God greater or better. However, God, uh, the, the, the essence of praise uh, in the corporate assembly is the acknowledgement and public declaration of God's greatness. Praise 
is the acknowledgement and public declaration of God's greatness. And so, praise does not change the nature of God. Praise does not change the character of God in any way. But praise does create awareness of God's greatness in the hearts and minds of other people. And so, when I come into the assembly of the righteous, even if I don't feel like worshiping, the, the praise and worship of the people around me in the assembly... Are de they declare the greatness of God and my heart begins to swell and I'm drawn into that vortex of worship and praise. Does that happen to you too? Yeah. That's the way it is. That's, that's the way God has created us. That's the way He's put the, 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 the worship life of His people together. So that's why corporate worship in the temple was important. That's why local uh, church worship is desperately important. Because praise creates this awareness of God's greatness in a capacity that doesn't happen when I'm sitting in my recliner with my mug of coffee and my Bible open at home. It's just not the same. Both are important. Both are valued. But this is a non-negotiable. Jointly and corporately celebrating God in the community of faith is non-negotiable. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, David said. Let, let's do this together. Let's exalt His name together. Together, together, together as a church family. Together on Sunday mornings. Together, let's worship His name together. So here's a resolution that we might consider making this morning. All of us, be it resolved that I will bless the Lord at all times. And... I will gather together with my church family on Sunday mornings to extol the name of Jesus. Be it resolved. Amen. The second R of Psalm 34 has to do with remembrance. The first R is about resolution. The second is about remembrance. And David says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be covered, never be ashamed. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Sorry, getting two translations mixed up. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. So, so David seems to be looking back, uh, back to a time of, of great trouble, a time of tribulation. He's perhaps remembering a time of danger, uh, either for himself or for the nation. We're just not sure of the circumstances. See, this is poetic literature. It might be tied, it, it's obviously tied to some historical event in the history of the people of God, but we're just not sure what the circumstances were. What we do know is that those circumstances created fear in his heart. He was afraid of something or someone. Well, among other things, this text tells me that when I am afraid, I can seek the Lord and He will deliver me. Isn't that good news? Tuesday afternoon, at the height of this incredible rainstorm that we endured here in Windsor, the phone rang in my office. It was Lori Honey, who just happened to be at the Columbus Avenue site as the water was rising. 
she called in a panic and said, Pastor, I'm here all by myself. The water is starting to come into the building. What are we going to do? I said, we'll be right there. I ran down the stairs, came to Phil's office, said, come on, buddy, we need to go. We jumped in our cars and barely made it over there. As I came off the expressway at Dominion, there was at least three feet of water there. And so both of our cars just barely made it. There were cars stalled on the left and on the right. And we drove up to Northwood. I figured Northwood would be fine. It was flooded. There were cars stalled on Northwood. And when I drove on the lot, my heart sank. There was no pavement anywhere on that six and a half acres. It was all underwater. So I parked near the road and I got out of my car and I went into the building and I... As I opened the door, Lori was standing there in bare feet with her pants pulled up. And, and when I opened the door, the water just... We closed the door and the, the water still kept coming in underneath the door sills. And she had two by pieces of two by four. And you're just trying to stop the water, you know. And I finally said, Lori, just forget it. Like, but fear filled my heart fear I, I, was, I was afraid N now what Lord now what we, we, we haven't even moved into this building and it's full of water now what are we going to do so I walked into the former banquet hall at the Knights of Columbus which will soon be the worship center of the gathering church of Windsor Ontario the one of the best churches in the country. And I stood there watching all the stuff get wet. We did all we could and I remembered. I remembered. In Psalm 34, David cried out. And the Lord heard him and saved him and delivered him from all his fear. And I remembered as I stood there, my God has been faithful to me and to our church before this flood started. He'll be faithful today and every day following. Yes. And I remembered what Psalm 34 said that those who look to him are radiant. And what I experienced over the next six or eight hours was the radiant glory of God shining through the faces of the people who drove through storm and water to get to the property to help us get that place cleaned up. There must have been 20, 30 people that showed up over the next few hours. Rubber boots, wet dry vacs, <laughs> pants pulled up to the knees. It was, it was amazing as I watched God do amazing things. I remembered as I stood there that Jesus said, Never will I leave you nor forsake you. So, may I urge you this morning... Remember to seek the Lord. Remember to trust the Lord. 
Remember to call upon the Lord. It doesn't matter what the storm looks like in your life. It doesn't matter when the storm moved in. And it doesn't matter how long the storm stays. You can trust Him. And He is always faithful. Amen? Always. Psalm 34 advocates three R's. Not reading, writing, and arithmetic, but resolution, remembrance, and the thirdly, realization. Verse 7, we'll pick it up. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So looking back now, looking back over this dreadful experience, whatever it was, and I said we, we don't know the circumstances that he's pointing to or talking about, but he looks back over this dreadful experience, and as he does, David comes to a, a, a fuller, richer realization of truth. And I think from this same text, from his experience, we can make a similar realization of truth this morning. Realize, first of all, that God protects us. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I, I think of, you know, the old Wild West where they uh, circled the wagons and for, for self-protection. And it's like the Lord is encamping. He's, he's, he's helping us to circle the wagons and, and make sure that everyone is, is safe and secure. And that's the language of protection. God protects His people. Realize also that we can enjoy God. Verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Yes, we can enjoy God. John Piper is fond of saying that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God brings us great joy when we can find our satisfaction in Him. And the imagery of tasting, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, this, this imagery makes the point that experiencing God is, is, is pleasant and it's, it's enriching to the soul. We can enjoy God. There, there's a spiritual sweetness to the knowledge of God. There's a spiritual sweetness uh, to the presence of God. When we are in the presence of the Lord, it just, it, it, it's like it, it, we've, we've eaten a, a very satisfying and tasteful meal. There's a, there's a sense of satisfaction there that can't be explained in any other way. Now that's not to say that those who taste and see that the Lord is good will always be insulated from pain or suffering and persecution. Far from it. Their determination to seek ultimate satisfaction in God above all else may in fact expose them to even greater oppression and contempt. But really it should matter little because our satisfaction is in Christ. Our satisfaction is in Jesus. It is not in my paycheck. It is, my satisfaction is not in my comfort. It's not in my home or even my family. My satisfaction is in God and God alone. 
And so it matters little what circumstances bring. For abiding in His presence awakens spiritual joys and that, that are incomparably full and spiritual pleasures that never really lose their capacity to enthrall and satisfy me. And as we savor the flavor of His glory and splendor, Jesus is honored and exalted in us and through us. We need to understand, folks, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. They're not separate. Furthermore, we must realize that fear of God actually leads to freedom. <laughs> Verses 9 and 10, O fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what the Scripture says. So the fear of the Lord really creates an attitude within which the spiritual and moral life can, can flourish and develop. We live out our lives as believers in the fear of God. And I suspect that means just a tad more than worship and reverence. Paul Tripp will write in his devotional, when the fear of God overwhelms and controls your heart, it protects you from the paralyzing and debilitating fear of other things. I mean, if you have the fear of God in your heart, there ain't nothing bigger to be afraid of. So all the rest, just take a number. Just take a number. I'm not afraid of you. I got the fear of God in my heart. Take a number. Get behind me. So in other words, it, it really leads to freedom. The fear of God leads us to freedom. And in that freedom comes the assurance that those who seek the Lord really lack nothing. We lack nothing. We don't need a thing. We have Jesus. So one respected commentator, and I'm quick to say this, because this verse has been abused uh, powerfully. One respected commentator says, this is not an empty promise of affluence. Okay? This is not an empty promise of affluence, but a, an assurance of God's responsible care for His people. People have, have taken this verse uh, back in verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. So God's going to provide my new car. He's going to provide a boat. I need a new pair of Nike shoes. Come on. Come on, Lord. You said I wouldn't lack for anything. This is not a promise that God will give you whatever you name and claim. Okay? You know where I'm going with this? Yeah. This is not a promise that just because you name something or claim it or declare it to be yours, that God's going to give it to you. What a bunch of nonsense. Excuse me. It's a declaration 
of God's reliable compassion for His people. That's what it is. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. That's a call to praise. That's a call to a life of worship. Folks, that, that I hope the gathering will live in day after day after day. That we will continually gather together and exalt the name of Jesus and worship Jesus and bow at His feet and, 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 and welcome others to, to worship with us. Come, let us exalt His name together. You have some Sundays where you'd rather be someplace else. I understand that. I have to be here. I also want you to know there's no other place I'd rather be. I walked in a couple weeks ago. A couple people said to me, aren't you on vacation? I said, I am. I am. But there's no place I'd rather be than with my family on a Sunday morning. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. With me. And let us exalt His name together. God is good, my folks, my friends, and He deserves our praise at all times, in every circumstance. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there there is no Savior like You. None so kind, none so compassionate, so merciful, None that draws near to us like you do. I'm so glad that the brokenhearted don't have to buck up and be brave when they see you coming. The crushed in spirit don't need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps as though you would be greatly disappointed in us if we weren't living in complete victory all of the time. The weary don't need to worry about what you think of us when they're spiritually dry or disillusioned because, Lord, your love is the great constant of life. Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning that the gospel is, is heaven's declared end to all pretense and pretending and posturing and posing. The gospel changes everything. So we'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in our mouths. We make that choice today. Be it resolved that the gathering will praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, if you hear us boasting, I hope our boasting is not about the lions and the tigers and the blue jays and the maple leaves, but I pray that our boasting in the Lord will be so great and so winsome that the humble hear it and rejoice with us. I pray, Father, that we might be able to invite family and friends to magnify the Lord with us. That they also may seek you and, 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 and experience your deliverance and find you to be faithful. Lord, thank you for your answers to prayer. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for taking away our fear. Thank you for removing our shame. And so we stand here before you this morning.
just waiting for you to encamp around us, to encircle us, to fill this room again afresh with your presence as we close our service in worship, as we stand before you in worship this morning so that we can taste again and be reminded again that the Lord is good and His glory is great. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving and praise. Amen.